The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 50.5. These are the mini-episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time to cover on the main episode. And being that this is the 50th issue of Wizard, of course we have extra special things to cover this time around. But I do have to address one particular controversy. You know, a lot of people listen to the main episodes, they love the Wizard Files interviews. I'm not sure that everybody is checking out the half episodes, but hopefully something that happened on social media over this weekend will change that. So on our last mini-episode, 49.5, I reviewed the Bloodpool comic series from Extreme Studios. And there in the pages, I found an ad for a comic that never came out called Thunder Agents, which featured a very important image for the history of comics. Yes, the infamous Captain America giant chest promo image that made Rob Liefeld, uh oh, a laughing stock, actually ended up being an image that he had used previously in this ad for Thunder Agents. We put a comparison up on our social media, and this thing just went crazy. It was getting retweeted and liked and shared all over the place. So much commentary and a lot of great insight as well. Like, for example, you know, I didn't know that that Captain America image, which was now based on that Thunder Agents image, was actually just a swipe of an Arnold Schwarzenegger photo of him back in his bodybuilding days, where the angle is almost right, but not quite. Yeah, Rob Liefeld exaggerated it to a point where it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. People were just like, what? I didn't even know this. And it's, it led to uh, some future interviews about people who were working at Marvel during the Heroes Reborn era. So it's going to be very interesting down the line as we cover that in a few months when that comes up in the timeline. We'll really get into the details. But that was just wild. Like I say, you never know what you're going to get on the mini episodes. So be sure to check in. And this time around, we will be getting into plenty of fun. Some additional details that they included. But I think it's also worth mentioning as well. Yes, our co-host and friend Steven Sapelis is moving on from the podcast as a regular co-host. But uh, uh, we are happy to have so many more guests lined up that will be on the way, including Steven. Yes, he will be back for episode 52. Uh, but we also have plenty more folks in the pipeline, just people that are so passionate about Wizards. So do not think that the Wizards train is going to slow down anytime soon. But you know, the guys at Wizard were a generous crew and they love their giveaways. So I think it's time that we check out Cap's Kooky Contests. Well, Todd McFarlane was all over issue 50. He was just the main draw, right? And so, of course, they gotta have a Todd McFarlane contest. It says, Wizard and Todd McFarlane Productions present Hanging with Todd McFarlane contest. What? Hang with Todd? It's a contest, silly. And one lucky grand prize winner will get the chance to hang with Todd McFarlane for the day as an actual employee of Todd McFarlane Productions. After being flown as part of your all-expenses-paid trip to stately McFarlane, 
manner. You'll be hired on as Todd's assistant and paid the standard TMP daily wage of one American dollar. During the day, you'll assist Mr. McFarlane with inking or maybe writing whatever issue of Spawn he's working on at the time. Don't worry, you'll get the recognition you're due. You'll be listed in the credits and be given a hundred complimentary copies of that issue. Times being tough, you'll be laid off at the end of the day. Sorry, them's the breaks. But you'll be given a send-off into retirement in grand style as the McFarlane clan gives you a retirement cookout party and an Image Comics retirement watch in commemoration of the occasion. Woo! What a day! You see Todd at his art table saying, I'm gonna work you like a friggin' dog. <laughs> so, how do I enter? Just like any job, you've got to tell us why you're qualified. Tell us why you, of all people, should be Todd's able assistant. So, send us your resume. That's the list of all your experience and qualities. Give us your educational background, your comic background, and let us know about any special skills you have. Can you touch your nose with your tongue? Can you beat the hell out of a savage wombat with one arm tied behind your back? Can you bake a cherry pie quicker than a cat can wink its eye? Tell Todd what makes you the one that he should choose as the winner. We'll send all the resumes to Todd and may the best assistant win. Runner-up, none. What? Are you freaking kidding us? This grand prize is cool enough. You'll get nothing and like it. So they have the official hang of a Todd entry form. It says, fill this sucker out, put it in an envelope, attach your stuff, and send the whole goo gob <laughs> to the hang of a Todd contest. All right. So that is pretty interesting. You get to spend some time with Todd McFarlane. As I mentioned on the episode, I didn't work or live very far from him. And in fact, ran into him at a movie theater once. I should have just hung with Todd. <laughs> if I was a bigger fan of his work, I probably would have made the effort. But at the time and up to now, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I appreciate what he does, but he's not my cup of tea. Anyway, here we go. It says here in the fine print, Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Hey, John Byrne, put that pencil down. You don't really want to enter this contest, do you? <laughs> and that is the one joke in the fine print here. So, on to the next one. It's always nice when we have Cap's kooky contests, and then there's an actual Captain America contest. This one's called Your Stairway to Stardom Contest featuring Captain America. You know, we do a lot of art-related contests around these parts. Every Every month, we see that our readers are a bunch of truly talented artists, but what about writers? There's just gotta be a ton of you out there in reader land who can write a comic story too. Well, this month, we're calling you out to show off your talents. With no less personality than everyone's favorite Sentinel of Liberty, Captain America, to help you along. So you see Cap there just standing majestically, make old Cap proud, boys and girls. So what do you gotta do? You gotta show us how great a writer you are by sending us a plot for a Captain America mini-comic. Your plot should include Captain America as the focus, of course, and could also include any other Marvel Comics character you wish. So many of you may wonder, what the heck is a comic book plot? What should it look like? What should it do? Well, it should be clearly written out, preferably typewritten, and it should do the following. Introduce the characters, who's in the comic? Establish their situation, what are they doing? Introduce the conflict, enter the villain, or the crisis. Build suspense, there's something at stake here. Reach a climax, we have a winner. Show a resolution. How does all this affect the characters? Do these things and do them well, and you could climb the stairway to stardom to become a famous fancy pants comic book writer. We'll tell you exactly how over here. We're going to pick the 11 best plots and forward them to Marvel editors. They're going to pick the best of the best, and that plot will be scripted and drawn and made into a future Captain America Wizard mini comic. If you're the lucky grand prize winner, you'll receive a credit as the plotter of 
the book. And since those wacky guys at Marvel are so nice, they'll even pay you $400. Buy all the beef jerky you want. The 10 other lucky readers whose plots make the first cut will each receive a copy of Avengers Masterworks featuring the return of Captain America. Oh yeah, to inspire you to try, try again, each copy will be autographed by Stan the Man Lee, a guy who knows a thing or two about writing stories. So yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Get yourself published or get yourself a signed copy of Avengers Masterworks. There's actually another uh, picture of Captain America on the entry for, but he says, I have every faith that you fine young Americans will do superior work. Now let's get into the legalese here. So it says, offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Hey, quit reading the legal text. Haven't you started yet? Writing plots is tough work. Hop to it. <laughs> it's a little bit of extra encouragement there. What I find interesting, I don't know what's going on. I assume this is just a mock-up they did, but in the contest information here, they have a mini-comic. It says Wizard Mini-Comic 2, Steve Rogers Captain America, and it says exclusive supplement to Wizard, and it has Captain America in the cap armor. Oh, that cap armor. So it's just kind of weird. I'm like, is that already what it's going to look like, or they're just trying to give you an example of what your comic would look like when it was all said and done? But anyway, I wonder who won that one. We'll find out soon enough. But now it's time for the big one. That's right. Wizard, the guide to comics and acclaim entertainment present the third annual Wizard Scavenger Hunt. You know, with the possible exception of a banana cream pie fight between drunken dwarves, there ain't nothing in the world more fun than a scavenger hunt, so we're having another one. But this ain't no regular scavenger hunt. No siree, Bob. We ain't gonna make you find a thimble and a mayonnaise jar lid and place a laurel wreath upon your brow if you hand them to us. No, this hunt is a lot more challenging, and the rewards are a lot greater. We're gonna challenge you to scour the four corners of the earth, and here we thought the world was round, to come up with the funkiest bunt batch of goodies you could shake a popsicle stick at. Go the distance and you could walk away with thousands of dollars worth of amazing comic and video game goodies. Just turn the page and look for yourself. So it says, put on your best dress, Mary, and wake up the neighbors, because the scavenging, we will go. The grand prize, one scavenger who gets the top point total will receive the biggest freaking home video game system out there, the Sega Saturn video game system. And a copy of Separation Anxiety acclaims brand and spanking new Venom Spider-Man Carnage video game. The grand prize winner will also receive Jasmine from John Byrne's X-Men and Bone porcelain figures, plus Joker and King Kong model kits, just because we're nice guys. And the grand prize winner will also receive the Ultimate Wizard Fan Kit. What's that, you ask? Well, it's a little box of love that we put together, which includes 20 super keen comics. We're talking autograph stuff, tour books, variant covers, premium logos, the works. It'll also include a wizard baseball hat, funkified wizard sunglasses, a chromium wizard lady death trading card signed by Brian Polito and Stephen Hughes, and a complete run of all the standard wizard half issues. Now that's a ton of unbridled comic joy. Woo! Uh, yeah. I'm getting a little excited over here because that's what we need, right? <laughs> we need all that stuff for the archives. We have the baseball hat, and it happens to be signed by all the wizard staffers of that era, but then to get all the wizard half issues up to this point, okay, we actually already have all those too. But the wizard sunglasses, that is something we've been scouring the internet for forever, and we just cannot find evidence. Whoever won this contest definitely did not hang on to those and sell them later. It's a, it's a shame. If you guys have a lead on the official wizard branded sunglasses, Tell us. We need them. All right. 
and first prize, the next 20 top point scorers will receive a copy of the Spiffy as Hex Separation Anxiety Game and the Ultimate Wizard Fan Kit. That's the 20 great comics, the hat, the shades, the autographed Lady Death card, and all the standard wizard half-issues. Still enough to make any comic geek worth his backing boards go into a slobbering frenzy. Oh, so there's 21 people who got the glasses. Where are you? Are you listening? Give them up. Consolation prize. The next 80 top point scorers will receive the Ultimate Wizard Fan Kit. You've read about the thing twice now. You know what's in it, so turn the page and hop to it. Time's a-wasted. Okay, so there are 101 people who got these sunglasses. We're gonna go through the winner's list when they print that. We're gonna find you all on social media. What'd you do with the glasses? What'd you do with the glasses? Alright, finally, the randomizer. The lucky sender of one entry chosen completely at random will receive a complete run of Wizard issues 1 through 50, a Sega Game Gear color portable video game system, and a whole slew of the scavenger hunt items sent to us as a nice little memento for you. Just think, send in just one moist towelette and you could be a winner. Oh, by the way, this contest is sponsored by the people at Acclaim Entertainment and we think they're real swell. Okay, so yeah, this is like a wizard fan's dream to get all this stuff. Like, yeah, there's you know some comics and special variant covers and all that mixed in, but like the amount of wizard stuff that they were handing out. Maybe at the time people weren't thrilled. You know I want it. We also have old Carnage here swinging by on the other page. Oh boy, do I have to eviscerate to win? How to play. Turn the page again. There you'll find a list of items that we need you to track down and a few questions we need answered. Each item or answer is worth a certain point value. Get the goods, find the answers, bundle them up, and send them in. Top point total wins and ties will be decided by random drawing. Now, it's not the easiest contest, not supposed to be, but tracking this stuff down is half the fun. The other half? Winning the nifty prizes below. Alright, so let's take a look at the items and points list. It says here's what you're after and what it's all worth. Earth. All right, so I'm trying to see what the most valuable item is. And truth be told, I mean, most of these are just like two and three. But I see one here for seven points, sheet music to any Sesame Street song. Okay, that'd be interesting to try to dig up. They also have for five points, one page printed download from Wizard World on America Online. So basically, they're just saying, if you went online, because we want everybody to check out Wizard World, then we will give you five points for that so that's a good deal a photo you took of someone with a big old flabby butt come on wizard we come in all shapes and sizes for two points you can send it a skybox simpsons pog which is fun or you could also for three points send in your 3d or valiant vision glasses if you wanted to give those up this is an old standby i feel like they always wanted like toothpicks and stuff so for two points a toothpick in a paper wrapper not plastic Let's see for five points any 8-track tape, blank or pre-recorded. Oh, good thing Michael wasn't doing that. He might have sent in that awesome Spider-Man rock reflections of a superhero 8-track at his grandparents' house, and I want it. Go find it, Michael. What's the name of the little guy in the Hawaiian Punch ads? If you can successfully name him, you will get five points for that. Three points if you send in a Super Friends comic book. Uh, I mean, this is kind of weird stuff, especially here where they say, for two points, one latex glove, in parentheses, don't ask why we want them. Yeah, we won't, wizard. Three points, something with a Scooby-Doo on it. Uh, you could send it a pixie stick for two points. Flavored sugar, what a concept. A mattress tag that says remove. Ooh, lawbreaker, that'll earn you three points. And then 
For one point each, this is like purely just for promotional purposes for a claim, which four Marvel heroes make cameo appearances in the game Venom and Spider-Man Separation Anxiety, you get one point each. So there are 75 items total, and then 213 points total is the opportunity you have. It says, go for it, you hunt nut, and then Carnage is back. If you win, you'll be the person I don't eat. All right, now let's take a look at the legalese here. It says, these rules you should actually read. <laughs> so it says here, offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. We're going to take all the crap you send in, have a huge freaking garage sale, take all the money and spend it on the three Bs, booze, broads, and bacon. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> Big plans for wizard there. Now there is one more contest here, so let's take a look. This says, find Phil in underworld unleashed contest every dog has its day and it's time to howl if you're one of the dirtiest dogs out there the dc villains they've got their own three issue miniseries going these days entitled underworld unleashed these evil maniacs are so happy about it that they're boldly running around creating chaos everywhere they go and we mean everywhere heck one dc villain has even kidnapped our own trusty library assistant phil colligan and we're gonna need your help to get him back who took poor phil and we see like an actual milk carton and they have added Phil on there. It says, name, Phil, little Elvis Colligan. Weight, 145 pounds. That's his pre-cooked weight, it says in parentheses. Height, bigger than a bread box. Age, 18? Occupation, swimsuit model. Last seen in the locker room of the YMCA wearing a floral print muumuu and jet black speedo and one flip-flop. Okay, so they're basically uh, trying to promote this Underworld Unleashed contest, which Michael had never heard of, so it must not have made a big splash. He was our DC Comics guy in the 90s. It says, what you gotta do? Young Phil's been kidnapped by one of the many dastardly DC villains who appear in Underworld Unleashed. We've called the cops and even put Phil's mugshot on milk cartons in an effort to help get him back. But until we know just who kidnapped him, we can't get too far. That's where you come in. You've got to tell us which DC villain grabbed Phil. How are you going to do that? Well, it sure would help if you'd read Underworld Unleashed and keep your eyes open for the guy. He looks like that kid on the milk carton to the left and he'll be real easy to spot since he'll be the only character in the whole limited series wearing a wizard t-shirt. One of the DC villains will be shown holding Phil. You tell us which one it is and you could win a nifty prize. Then we'll all go find the nasty bad guy in question and give him a stern talking to. Wow. That's awesome. Guys, this is a essentially a wizard tie-in comic. A wizard staffer is put into a DC comic. So of course, now we have to go find that issue. All right. Well, let's check this out. The grand prize, one lucky reader who correctly tells us who nabbed Phil will receive a piece of original Underworld Unleashed art by Howard Porter and Dan Green, plus a spiffy box of the Skybox DC Villains Series 2 trading cards. First prize, another 20 readers who get it right will each receive a set of the three-issue Underworld Unleashed limited series with the first issue autographed by the creative team of Mark Wade, Howard Porter, and Dan Green. Oh yeah, you get a box of Skybox DC Villains trading cards too. Now let's check out the legal text unleashed here. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. The evil that men do often lives on after them, while the good is interred with the bones. Hmm, that's kind of dark, man. Now, the other thing that is in this issue is Wizard is finally making it more clear in their bullpen section the results of their contests. You might recall way back when they were putting the results in the new contest pages. Maybe that was confusing to people. So now they have a section called Contest 
winners. So it says, congratulations to the grand prize winners of Wizard46's contest to go-go. Enjoy the loot. So this first one says, thongs are good. Paul Milligan of Fort Worth, Texas will see his winning Lady Death swimsuit design, as depicted by Stephen Hughes, see print in Lady Death and Lingerie number one on sale this month. Now, Paul Milligan, that is a familiar name to me. That sounds like somebody who actually became a working comic book artist. So if you guys know about Paul Milligan's work, let me know. But also it says here, X-Men from A to Z, Todd Neven of Egan, Minnesota, wins an original piece of Adam Kubert X-Men art and the complete set of After Xavier books signed by their creators. And all I had to do was name every single friggin' mutant in the X-Collage. Wow. Todd Neven, you are amazing because it was so hard to make out from those sketchy, faded white lines who those characters were. So you are truly, truly obsessed with X-Men. You deserve it. And finally, here is the one I was most interested in. It says Groove Among Us. Matthew S. Furman of Clearfield, Utah takes home an original cover sketch of Techno Comics's Mr. Hero by artist Ted Slampiak for designing a groovy Mr. Hero complete with mood ring, lava lamp generator, and the combat disco ball. Now, unfortunately, this is a, it's like a double postage stamp sized image here, so it's very hard to make out the full design, but you can definitely see Mr. Hero is gleaming with some 70s excitement there, so that is a very fun deal for that guy to win. And yeah, so that does it for Cap's Kooky Contest, and of course now we gotta go hunt down a couple issues so we have them for the archives, but now it's time for another edition of Robin's Reading Rainbow. So after reading Wizard's comments about Astro City last mini-episode, I went down a rabbit hole. So in 1995, I remember that the Alex Ross covers got me to pick up the book at my local comic book shop, but seeing that it wasn't painted interiors by Ross, I immediately set it back down on the shelf. And even with Wizard constantly talking about how great Astro City was, I never took the leap into becoming a reader. It's just strange since I read The Trade of Marvels countless times and despite the fantastic art, I really did also feel a connection to the non-superpowered characters thanks to the writing of Kurt Busiek. And now having read Astro City, I realize it's basically a spiritual successor to Marvel. So let's get into it here. For example, the framing device of the first issue is a newscaster in Astro City doing man-on-the-street interviews with citizens about why they live in this superhero-infested metropolis, right? Focusing specifically on a man who just moved to town with his two young daughters. We get a glimpse of the Samaritan who acts as, you know, the Superman analog. There's Jack in the box who is basically Spider-Man in a clown costume. And even there's uh, an attack by an angry Zeus from Olympus taking the form of a giant cloud monster. But everything is seen through the eyes of this father worrying about how to protect his children as well as other common folks and their reactions to the situation. So it immediately makes the universe feel 
still lived in and even with the ridiculous super villains like the otter who is standing in for the scorpion somehow the homage to these established characters it doesn't feel like parody or imitation i do have to mention that alex ross must have had his hand in designing one of the characters called the gentleman as this tuxedo wearing hero is drawn a hundred percent to look like the absent-minded professor himself fred mcmurray who ross also used as the model for captain marvel and kingdom come with some slight alterations during this time so he just had a thing for fred mcmurray and the thing is i don't understand who the gentleman is supposed to be representing for marvel or dc's cast of characters maybe it's just meant to be wholly original or maybe you guys can give me a heads up on social media as to what it is an, an analog for but it's interesting so after that first introductory issue really sets up the world the next two issues are totally unrelated to the first and that we follow a 10 year old girl named Astra who is the youngest member of a Fantastic Four Doom Patrol mashup superhero team called the First Family who live on Kirby Mountain did you catch the reference we get her version of the family's origin story as heroic adventurers over decades more on that in a little bit here but with her parents being revealed as this orange dinosaur slash the thing rocky exterior kind of hybrid named rex and her energy-based super-powered mother natalie but astra is being you know interviewed on talk shows because she's just a media darling where it's revealed that although she has saved the world multiple times and understands advanced science thanks to an ai teaching program she is unfamiliar with pop culture or even childhood games that would allow her to relate to other kids so while her family takes off to fight supervillains one night she sneaks out of their compound to attend an elementary school the next morning just kind of fakes her way into becoming a student which leads to panic for the first family and a worldwide search for this missing supergirl i'm sure if i was more well versed in 60s comics these stories would be even more clever as i you know was picking out all the references but as it stands looking at astra as a franklin richards type i get it one interesting moment though as far as fantastic four lore being referenced is the first family confronts caspian prince of the beast people who basically looks like a gypsy version of namor and it's revealed that he stole the wife of astra's grandfather which is presented as a twist on the reed richards sue storm submariner love triangle but in this case namor won the battle for the invisible woman's heart uh, but after confronting their foes across the world who they assume kidnapped the girl you know rex is saying where's my daughter the team eventually finds out that astra was just navigating life in the schoolyard for a week challenging the brad local hopscotch champion to many matches and eventually winning without the use of her powers so in the end astra explains in her inner monologue that it was all in pursuit of having an adventure of her own it feels like this is probably a good place to stop and mention brent anderson's art there is nothing flashy about his style or his figure work he is not an artist i've ever heard the name of in any other you know project but he has a fantastic cinematic style in terms of varied pan layouts and diverse character designs specifically i would point to the fact that every costume and bit of clothing on each character whether it's a main character background character whatever is very unique and it goes a long way in making the world feel believable and visually engaging i i could see why the basic draftsmanship wouldn't have appealed to me as a kid of the 90s but i really do appreciate it now is something that stands the test of time in terms of quality storytelling now proving that astro city can be 
anything that Kurt Busiek wants it to be, uh, the next six issues actually begin a long story arc that's following an orphan teenager named Brian, who is obsessed with superheroes and moves to Astro City to experience their world. Though underage, Brian gets work as a busboy in a secret superhero bar that he has read about, and when he defeats a paste pot Pete-style supervillain called Glue Gun, who crashes a private superhero party where Brian is working as a waiter, the kid gets the attention of a mysterious vigilante named the Confessor, who has basically this super priest motif, like a Catholic priest, <laughs> and Brian becomes his sidekick, Alter Boy. So it sounds stupid in concept, but it's actually handled very well by Busick, who uses the next few issues to explore what it means to take up the life of a masked hero, whether it's for public acclaim or personal morality and protecting others, just what are the reasons someone would do this. Now, the Confessor becomes a mentor for Brian, kind of maturing his abilities in detective work and also just his outlook on the world. It's a very Batman and Robin style relationship, I would say with a little bit of the shadow thrown in, just based on the way that the Confessor speaks. But the super priest's aloof nature starts to breed suspicion in Brian. It's eventually revealed that the Confessor was a priest who got turned into a vampire hundreds of years before, and he atones for his weakness in needing to feed on human blood by fighting evil. So this causes a dilemma for Brian, who has a hard time reconciling the heroic acts with what he views as the evil nature of vampirism. Now, one cool touch, I think, is that the Confessor wears a cross on his chest, which causes him pain, you know, because vampires don't like crosses, traditionally, and it's a way of distracting himself from the thirst for blood. So I thought that was very clever. Meanwhile, the mayor of Astro City has turned on the masked heroes after the Justice League type group called the Honor Guard refuses to turn over an alien spacecraft to the government until they have studied it. And then the public turns against the heroes as well for choosing to fight off world threats when a superhuman serial killer has been preying upon the earthbound citizens of Astro City. So this attitude towards the heroes just starts bubbling up and the decision is made by the mayor to declare that all superheroes will now have to register with the government. Yes, you heard right. A Superhero Registration Act was passed in Astro City Comics 10 years before the events of Marvel's Civil War. So how ticked off must Kurt Busiek have been at Mark Miller for stealing his idea for such a high-profile event? Now granted, Watchmen also had the Keen Act, which outlawed superheroes, so I guess it was, wasn't totally original. But the way it plays out over several issues of various debates between normal citizens, the media, politicians, and then the heroes themselves about these pros and cons of registration is very Civil War, much more so than Watchmen, where when you think about it, the act was already in place for many years before that story even starts, and it wasn't really the focus. The Watchmen's more of a murder mystery. Anyway, all of that was just a plot point that really surprised me. I did not see it coming, and I thought it was really handled, just in concept by Busick. Now, the arc wraps up in a fantastic climax, where it's revealed that the mayor is an alien shapeshifter who has tried to create mistrust in the heroes as preparation for an invasion. This is done when the Confessor attacks him at a rally where the troops have been outfitted with crosses to burn him, holy water infused cables to hold him, and a wooden stake Gatling gun that pierces his heart, which the Confessor then turns back on the mayor in the same fashion, killing the alien imposter, revealing his true nature to the crowd. Now, after this, of course, Alter Boy and the other heroes fight off the invasion, and only Alter Boy, in a 
few of the other heroes recognized the confessor for the martyr he truly was, but a lot of people think he was the serial killer because they saw this vampire appear on TV. Although the funny thing that's added to that is that when he is fighting all these troops that the mayor had set up that were really alien invaders, they have a news team saying, he's not showing up on camera. He's not showing up on camera because vampires don't have a reflection. They don't show up in cameras, right? Anyway, I thought that was another fun twist. But the series continues on for 12 more issues with basically one-shot stories for the most part. But this was the point at which I thought I would just end this review. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to cover, but just these are my first impressions of Astro City. And I was just, I, I can't believe it took me this long to get there. It's such a fantastic world that is yeah, at once familiar, but then also original, right? Like it, it takes all these turns you're not expecting, but references things that you might have some idea about if you know comics history. I do feel it's worth mentioning the difference I see between Astro City as an homage and the derivative comics from Extreme Studios that are trying to do kind of the same thing in that Astro City puts actual care into characterization and well-paced storytelling. You know, yes, there's a Superman and a Wonder Woman and a Batman type character in this universe, but they're not spending every page showing how awesome they can pose in a fight or that macho violence is the only answer to stopping villains, right? Astro City is taking its time to explore the moral dilemmas of these costume crime fighters and consider how their existence would be a solution or a cause of more problems in their society. There's so much more going on there. And again, some people just want the entertainment of action, action, action. That's fine. But this is the style of comics that I really appreciate the most and, and have for a long time. I will mention that I had hoped for something similar to this when I started reading Irredeemable by Mark Wade in the early 2000s. But after sticking with that series for like six or seven issues, it never grew into anything more than uninteresting generic superheroes dying in fights against bad Superman. Like it just, it wasn't as clever. It wasn't as thoughtful as Astro City is. So I would just say, yeah, the variety of stories that are presented by Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson in Astro City are truly something special. Check it out. If you've never read it, you've only heard about it. I hope that you will be as surprised and thrilled as I was to explore it. All right, now it's time for the top 10 comics. this is issue number 50 and it's all about retrospectives wizard has done something special with their list they say this month we're kicking the regular top 10 to that little box down there on page 133 so we can show you what the hottest comics have been since wizard debuted over four years ago each book landed in the chart listing below depending on what top 10 positions it held over the course of the last several years and how long it held on to each spot so in the number one spot here we have new mutants 87 yep first appearance of Cable, Lady Death number one from her original miniseries, and Gen 13 number one from that original miniseries. They say, first place sees a three-way tie with each of these books locking onto the coveted number one slot a record 15 months. New Mutants 87 housed the first appearance of Cable back when fans gave a damn. Lady Death number one was, and still is, one of the gems of the bad girl craze, and Gen 13 number one houses the most popular image team to date. So yeah, it's interesting. They all were there for 15 months? That is wild. 
wild. So that is, I mean, I guess when something's popular, it just stays popular. But in the number two spot is She Number One, with a book that is clocked in the top 10 for 13 months, Bill Tucci, or as we like to call him, The Tooch, has got a winner on his hands with She, a book that owes its popularity not only to the bad girls trend, but also its excellent writing and superb art. Rising from obscurity, word of mouth circulated amongst fans as to how keen the book is, and presto, She, which chronicles the tales of assassin Anna Ishikawa, made some pretty big waves in the comics market. For number three, Gen 13 number two from the miniseries, and Uncanny X-Men number 201. A two-way third place tie connects two books that hung around the charts for a year each. The underprinted Gen 13 number two continued the Gen phenomenon that's still going strong, and Uncanny X-Men number 201 was a book that had the entire comic industry buzzing for over a year. As it finally turned out, Cable is really Nathan Summers, the son of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor, and we first laid our eyes on Baby Nate in this ish, which appeared years before Cable debuted. In the number four spot is Vengeance of Vampirella number one. With 11 months of top 10 coverage tucked away in her cleavage, Vengeance of Vampirella number one, which reintroduced the 60s Warren heroine to a new generation of comics fans, helped light the match to that bad girl excitement we've told you about. This book had recently all but dropped out of top 10 until Vampy's recent Mystery Walk storyline, which revealed the character's true origins, brought her back into the spotlight. For number five, Uncanny X-Men number 248 and Ray number zero. Holding their own for 10 months on the charts each, Uncanny X-Men 248 houses the first Jim Lee X-Men art. Jim Lee? On X-Men? Sheesh, that was a long time ago. Ray number zero, aside from coming out around the time when fans actually opened and read Valiant books, served as a prelude of sorts to the much-hyped Deathmate crossover between Valiant and Image. In the number six spot, Uncanny X-Men number 266. The first appearance of the X-Men's Gambit kept this book strong in the charts for nine months, fans were frothing at the mouth thanks to rumors that Gambit was the X-Trader. Hey Marvel, wanna like try wrapping up some plot lines before starting 20 new ones? His budding relationship with Rogue and the fact that aside from storyline involvement, Gambit is a pretty cool character. Number seven, Magnus Robot Fighter number 12, Spawn number four, and Wolverine number 75. With eight months in the top 10 each, Magnus 12 saw the first Valiant appearance of Turok, back when dinos were getting hot and Valiant back issues were the hottest thing going. Spawn number four featured a coupon for that image number zero mail-away fiasco, and Wolverine number 75 saw the most popular X-Man de-adamantimized. Hmm, got it, guys. De-adamantimized. Let's say it again. De-adamantimized. <laughs> for number eight, Amazing Spider-Man number 361, Harbinger one, Sword of Azrael number one. It says here, at seven months in the hot charts apiece, Amazing Spider-Man 361 sees the debut of the once wildly popular, but now overexposed Carnage. Harbinger number one was just another hot, underprinted Valiant back issue, and Sword of Azrael number one gave the world the man who would be Batman. Uh, I'm sure that that first appearance of Carnage is probably going for a pretty penny these days, but that Harbinger number one, it still sells, and there was like a pink logo version of all this stuff. I've looked at those back when we were doing our Punisher's price guide, and yeah, the, the price of that is held on for some reason. Uh, anyway, number nine, Daredevil 319 and Moon Knight number 55. All right, two washed up Marvel heroes. Briefly appearing on the charts for six months of pop, Daredevil 319 saw the new and improved, yeah right, Daredevil costume, and Moon Knight number 55 saw hot newcomer Steven Platt make his artistic presence powerfully felt in the comics biz. And so, of course, the Steven Platt Moon Knight issues have just skyrocketed, right? Like, that is the big news these days, uh, as everybody's anticipating that Disney Plus series to drop. But also, uh, underneath those issue covers that they show off, there's a little smiley face. He just
just says, don't mind me, I'm just here to fill space. And finally, for number 10, Shadow Man number 8, Ray number 4, Batman the Vengeance of Bane number 1, and Prime number 2. Wrapping up this retro top 10 and clocking in at 5 month placement per book, Shadow Man number 8 introduced big time bad guy Master Dark. Ray number 4 and Prime 2 were two massively underprinted issues, and Vengeance of Bane was the debut of the major bat back breaking foe Bane. And there you have it, the best top 10s. I mean, if you look at these and when we post it on social media, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of comments about this, but I think there's just nothing more 90s than all of these comics. I mean, there's very few that have probably sustained the popularity, but yeah, I mean, it's wild to see just in those four years that Wizard was publishing what it really experienced in terms of seeing the changes, right, in the industry and what was hot for a period. Like, what they're reporting now, you know, in the, in the pages is that Valiant and Acclaim, you know, have pretty much dropped. That's what the Market Watch section says, that literally nobody cares about those books anymore by 1995 so that is wild wild stuff all right but on to a little bit more fun all right well now it's time to check out the picks section of wizard no longer the picks from the wizard's hat but they're telling us all about the hottest comics that are coming out at this time and of course they're talking about the Scarlet Spider books. As it says here, Spider-Man editor-in-chief Bob Budiansky knows that he's going to hear how the Scarlet Spider storyline parallels what happened earlier this year in the X-Men's Age of Apocalypse plot, with newly named titles for a new character. The only difference is that these stories take place in the real Spider-Man's timeline, making history once again. The story spins off of August Spectacular Spider-Man number 229, in which Spider-Man decides to give it a rest. Basically, we have a new character who's taking over for Spider-Man, Budiansky says. These titles aren't one-shots, he stresses. They'll last as long as the Scarlet Spider lasts. All five titles feature five color covers and Marvel's deluxe format. They kick off with Web of Scarlet Spider number one, September 5th, followed by Weekly Amazing Scarlet Spider number one, Scarlet Spider number one, and Spectacular Scarlet Spider number one. These issues present the four-part virtual mortality storyline in which Dr. Octopus returns, and this time he's ticked off. Also shipping the third week will be Scarlet Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one, a 64-page, $3.95 issue in which the Scarlet Spider learns his true origin. These new series will lead into November's Rebirth, which heralds new creators Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. Budiansky says his office has received an enormous reaction to the clone story. Some readers are really excited about it, some are surprised, some are shocked, some are even dismayed, and a few are angry, he says, but also all of them are really interested, even the angriest fans were receiving 20 times the letters we were getting a few years ago, we think we have a lot of really terrific stuff lined up with even more revelations, more shocks, and more surprises, and we hope all the fans will be there to see it. Yes, there's a little hype piece for this switcheroo into the world of the Scarlet Spider. Of course, Ben Riley taking over as Spider-Man permanently is just around the corner, ditching the hoodie and just uh, getting into it here, so that'll be interesting as we cover that in more detail, but that's not the only Spider-Man news we have here because we have the Spider-Man and Batman crossover. Yes, this is a one-shot by writer Jam DeMatteis and artist Mark Bagley and Mark Farmer. It says here, hey, cool, for absolutely no hype, this latecomer sure got our attention pretty quick, and readers should note that this story takes place prior to the Clone Wars, so it's Peter Parker as the Amazing Spider-Man swinging on the end of that web line. Good thing, too, because our heroes have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Carnage and the Joker. It seems some scientist types have created a thingamajig 
jig that alters the brain patterns of psychotic criminals, and they need to test it out. So why not start with the two most psycho guys in comics? Naturally, the alterations don't last too long, and our heroes have to corral these crazies pronto. That's easier said than done, since these villains didn't get to the top of the insane list on the strength of their good looks. The book explores the deepest fears that make these two heroes tick, and how Joker and Carnage can play on those fears to get the upper hand against them, says Spider-Man editor-in-chief Bob Budiansky. Jam DeMatteis really delves into the core of their personalities. The artwork looks great, too, he notes. In my unbiased opinion, this is a beautiful book. Uh, I have this in my long box. It's one I picked up back in the day. I remember how exciting it was. Batman? Spider-Man? Huh? So it was a crazy idea for a team-up, and there were many more to come in the years that followed. Maybe we'll cover this on a mini-episode. If it's something you want to hear me review, hit us up on social media and tell us. Now, let me check out here, speaking of Batman, what was going on in the Batman world. It says, Start your dark and brooding month off with Batman 524, where the Scarecrow goes in search of a brain and ends up loading up on Bran instead, which means he'll be out of action for a while. When he's done with that, he sets a pretty nasty and deadly trap for Batman in one of them fun houses. Then maze your way over to Batman Shadow of the Bat number 44 for The Secret of the Universe, part 3 of 3. Continued from Catwoman number 26, The Dark Knight calls in Catwoman and Catman for some major pest control. The Rat Catcher and even more rats than Willard himself could command are on the streets. Slink your way down to Detective Comics number 691 where the Cape Crusader meets the new Underworlder, Spellbinder. This guy can now make some serious illusions with some pretty devastating results. He once made it so all of Rob Liefeld's comic characters looked proportionate. Zing! <laughs> oh, wizard, wizard. No wonder he hates your guts. And hey, pick up Nightwing number three of four where Bruce Wayne's former ward, you know, I always thought it was more than just coincidence that Burt Ward played Robin. I never made that connection. Look at you're so insightful, wizard. And finally gets caught in the middle of some powerful genetic cleansing in Kravia while hunting down more clues about his parents' murders. Wow. I mean, that was pretty fun. You get a jab at Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Just stay it on brand, right? Okay, now let's take a look here uh, very quickly about Gen 13 number 5. They're just mentioning, this issue sees the Babelicious debut of yet another hot Gen 13-er. Oh god, I don't think I can handle another hot character of this book. Oh wait, they're not real? They're not real. Sorry, but my therapist says I have to keep repeating that little mantra. Meanwhile, Rainmaker confronts a pretty big decision and the team finds an extremely personal mission waiting for them back in La Jolla. The story continues over in Deathblow number 20. Hey, so there's a little crossover between those Wildstorm books. I have all those, so I'll have to double check that because I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, wait, what happened in 5 that went to Deathblow? I don't remember that connection, so I'll have to check it out. All right, next here though, you know, we don't give acclaimed comics much press these days, so let's find out what's going on. Magnus Robot Fighters number 61 and 62. What the heck is going on with Magnus? This title wins the facelift of the year award. It seems the Valevs are once again threatening the earth and they have Magnus in their nefarious hands. With nowhere to go, Magnus looks to the Psylords for help. In an issue number 62 with the Psylords headquarters and ruins around them, they have to make a decision that involves killing Torque. That's Magnus's son. That is by Keith Giffen, Kevin Kobasic, and Mike DiCarlo. Giffen retorts, quote, there's major developments in the lives of every single person on earth, with the exception of the people on Gehenna and the island of Japan. Yes, there is a reason why they aren't involved in this whole 
thing. I'm building up to something that will really yank the rug out from under the reader's feet in issue number 64. We're building up to the thing you least expected us to do. And no, we're not blowing up the Earth or anything like that. So they are really trying to get you hyped for the Magnus Robot Fighter at Acclaim Comics. Does not seem that that is the case, though, that uh, anybody else jumped in. One other thing that I wanted to mention here is that we have this section that they've started adding to the pick section called What I'm Reading, where they get comics pros to tell us what is of interest to them. And in this case, it's our buddy Mike Allred. And so it says here, currently reads... Fantagraphics love and rockets because the Hernandez brothers' work was the initial catalyst to inspire me to do my own work. Wow, origin story. Fantagraphics 8-ball because I always find Dan Close's unique look at the world fascinating. He's always experimenting with his style. Kitchen Sink's Black Hole I've picked up because I've been a longtime fan of Charles Burns' work, and it's exciting that he now has his own title. And then The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, which is simply mind-blowing, as well as all the other legend titles, for obvious reasons. So yeah, I mean, Mike Allred, not reading Marvel in DC, that's for sure. <laughs> he's just sticking with the independence. That's where he lives. So that's pretty cool that he's devoted there. Now, here is something I didn't know about. Punisher number one, this shocking first issue of the new Punisher series starts off with some real sparks. Now that New York's got that death penalty thing, Frank Castle gets the honor of the best seat in the house. The electric chair, the Avengers, Bullseye, and even Doc Samson join the party to witness the end of the menace by John Ostrander, Tom Lyle, and Chris Ivey. So is this like the catalyst for when he becomes the reanimated demon hunter supernatural? Did that happen now here? Or was this just another time where he appears to die and then is not actually dead. If you're a Punisher fan out there, we got to know about this. And then uh, closing out here, we have Spawn number 36. This says, By Simmons Sphincter, this ish has more plot lines and deceptive thingamajigs going on than your average congressional meeting. Spawn confronts his ex-wife Wanda about a certain betrayal. Hmm. Big changes lurk on the horizon by Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo. And heck, while you're at it, check out Spawn Blood Feud number four, where Spawny Guy finally confronts Heartless John the Vampire. Heartless John the Vampire? I don't remember. <laughs> Heartless John the Vampire? Is that a nickname they gave him or was there actually a character called Heartless John? That cracks me up. Well, that does it for the picks this time around. I hope that some of those were books that you were reading back in the day. And looks like we're about to wrap up this episode. And that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. Mini episode 50.5 is drawing to a close. I want to thank you all for checking out the mini episodes. If you're subscribed, thank you. If this is your first time checking us out, oh, so much more to be had in the archives. So make sure that you check out our backlog of episodes, the two-year history of this podcast that continues to roll on. Of course, you can get all the latest and greatest as well as scans from the issues on our Twitter feed at wizards comics or instagram at wizards underscore comics more videos on the way for you on our youtube channel at wizards podcast speaking of youtube we are part of the retro network and i've been invited to participate in their series called wax pack flashback where we actually open up old sealed packs of trading cards from the 80s and 90s and there are a whole bunch of comic book trading cards on the way now we're starting off a little obscure as we're doing dark horse's 
comic's greatest world, as well as some packs of Judge Dread cards that I've opened, and even some Death Watch 2000 trading cards, if you remember that kind of failed crossover from Neil Adams Comics Company. But there's also some classic Marvel packs and other things that are going to be on the horizon. So I suggest you go over to the TRN TV YouTube channel, subscribe. You will see me opening up some cards and talking about them. And of course, if there are suggestions that you would like to make for the show, go ahead and send us an email at wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. We're not collecting your info. We just want to talk. And of course, if you are someone who has a special history with Wizard, whether you appeared in the magazine, whether you sold the magazine at a comic book store, whatever it might be, if you feel like you have some insight you want to share, we would love to hear about it as well. You can go ahead and just reach out to us on any of those means of communication. We're very excited for what's to come with episode 51. Uh, We have a great guest, Gabe from Gabe Loves 90s Comics. He is a devoted listener of the podcast, but also super passionate. And it turns out we had some connections I was unaware of. So it's going to be very fun as we uh, dive in with him next time around. So until then, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.